Hello, and welcome to the Steve Barkley Ponders Out Loud podcast. Instructional coaches and leaders create the environment that supports teachers to continually imagine, grow, and achieve. They model an excitement for learning that teachers in turn model for students. This podcast is dedicated to promoting the important aspects of instructional leadership. Thanks for listening. Leading like a coach. Joining our podcast today is Matt Renwick, an elementary school principal from Wisconsin and the author of a new book titled Leading Like a Coach. A description of Matt's book has this statement in it. Matt reframes the approach to school-wide change from a leader acting alone to a leader working with the community, a community in which each member contributes their strengths and ideas to improving instruction. When I read that statement, it sure aligns with the mantra that, uh, that I've been on for years, that uh, teaching is a team sport. So I dropped Matt a note and he agreed and happy to say he's with us here today. So welcome, Matt. Thank you, Stephen. I'm glad to be here. So Matt, would you start off by giving us a little introduction to uh, to your background and the and the role that you're in at the at the school today, and um, kind of wondering how that led to you uh, taking on the task of writing this book? Yeah, I um, I found it interesting you sharing your experience as a fifth and sixth grade teacher and an open concept experience. That um, was actually a similar experience I had in a multi age classroom. We did you know natural looping and. We designed thematic units, integrated units together, and it was very project oriented. It was just a lot of fun. And was uh, it that was in Wisconsin? It was in Wisconsin. Yep, uh, Rudolph, Wisconsin, it's about central Wisconsin. And I noticed as I progressed through my teaching career, um, standards became more prominent, testing, evaluations, all became much more a part of the school and experience. And and I felt kind of a maybe some of the joy leaving it too. And um, kind of prompted me to think, how could I maybe influence at a school-wide level, have more impact in protecting that joy and that um, learning experience in a way that both teachers and kids can be a part of. And so that's how I got me into the principalship. And once I was there, I don't know if it was a rude awakening, but it was a, definitely a, a realization that you can't just put out uh, some kind of a goal and offer some professional development and monitor progress and then expect outcomes. Um, it's just school change and improvement is not linear in that sense, as we might put it on paper. And so that led me to learning more about coaching, instructional coaching in particular, and really trying to embed it into my practice, working with teachers, working with staff, even working with colleagues. Uh, how do I talk? How do I present myself? And and really, like you said in the in the description of working together to get you know collective goals. Yeah, I'm real. Uh, I, I'm I'm real big in on, on the concept of uh, of team, and I describe that uh, very frequently. What a lot of schools call teams are really what I would call uh, franchises. So, I got a group of teachers that come to a franchise meeting. They exchange tips and strategies, but they they still go back and run their own classroom mm -hmm. versus people coming together as a team, which says they've really got a uh, a combined responsibility for student success. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing I can't do this job without you. Yeah. Um, you know, 
it's and that's what I realized as a principal. I couldn't do this job without the teacher's input and understanding their decision making and trying to stop coming in and judging. And um, not that there's not a place for that as a part of a supervisor, but it really has become a fraction of how I spend my days now. I'm now yeah. coming in daily, just learning, just coming in with kind of getting rid of my biases as much as I can and trying not to make assumptions and just coming in and noticing what's going on, trying to notice what's going well, communicating that with the teachers and, you know, eventually leading into conversations around their instruction, which is where, as I'm sure you see as well in your work, is that's where the impact happens is, is learning together. And it's so much more effective than, like I said, that very technical um, way of trying to get people to improve. And that just doesn't get you very far. So. At, at, at best, minimum competencies. Yes. Yeah. We, yeah. we can evaluate whether minimum competencies are in place or not, but you, you, we can't grow out of that evaluation process. That's 100% correct. And, you know, and that's where evaluations can be effective. You know, you get people yeah. to a minimum area, minimum level, like you said, but um, where do you go from there? And that's, that's kind of what I felt a decade ago, which is where kind of the idea for this book came about is what is my role beyond getting teachers to the standard level of, of instruction? And, and I even wrote a blog post about it a decade ago. Can a principal also be a coach? So, so the seed was planted there. 10 years later, we've got the book and I'm hoping to get it into the hands of leaders, not just principals, but coaches and superintendents and anyone who's a leader, teacher leaders, I think can find this book helpful. I, I can tell you that a whole lot of years ago. <laughs> so it was uh, uh, in the eighties that I began to work in, in the area of coaching. And uh, way back then uh, people would raise the question, can the administrator, you know, be an evaluator and a coach? And uh, I always responded to the fact that not only can they, but they, they really need to, yeah. because at a minimum, they needed to model the behavior you wanted teachers to take on in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So most of the time, the teacher's a coach. <laughs> there, there comes that day that the teacher puts on the evaluator hat and does the assessment. Mm -hmm. And then the next day, the teacher's back in the, in the coaching role using the outcome of the, uh, of the evaluation or the assessment to uh, assist in jumping back in and, and, and working with growth. So mm -hmm. I, I've, I've always had the thought that it, it's critical that, uh, that, an, that an administrator in, in effect takes on both roles. And then a whole lot of years ago, they introduced that term of, uh, of instructional, uh, instructional leadership. And uh, I, I, I responded that if you, um, if you really thought that the principal was an instructional leader, then part of the administrator's evaluation would be looking at the growth that the teachers made as they worked with that principal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I wish I would have gone back even farther than night and explored your work, just learning more <laughs> about it here. And I've even had teachers, when you mentioned, you know, how can a principal also be a coach? I've even had a teachers say, you know, I don't think you can because, you know, you're an evaluator and how can you also coach? And, just there seems to be some rigidity with where they just need these things to be siloed for you know I, I, what i try to do with this work is really kind of embrace that complexity yeah and, and really be kind of fluid and, and shift from one to the other just kind of like you said with the teachers of one day it's evaluate and other days it's it's really coaching and and i appreciate you noting too that 
there's kind of a, a bootstrapping effect too when you're talking with teachers and you're using coaching strategies like paraphrasing and posing questions and pausing. And um, yeah, I remember a teacher last year coaching uh, one of her first graders. He was writing all of these topics on camping, but he didn't have a title. And she just said, take a look at all of what you've written, you know, all your uh, topics, your table of contents. And you know, what do you think would be a good title? And he's like, fun and camping, you know, and um, she's like, yes. And then he totally owned it. And it was you know, a lot of pride with that process. And, and later on, I just said, I, I couldn't help but notice you using paraphrasing and some of the things we've talked about in, in our staff and meetings and coaching. Yeah. yeah. And she's like, well, I just, you know, I hear, I hear you doing it. And, and likewise, I've tried it myself, so it absolutely can work. And critical, um, yeah. yeah. And there's even research too of when I, uh, my background is in cognitive coaching. I'm not a cognitive mm -hmm. coach per se, but I've had you know uh, coursework on it. And there was one research study where they looked at three different people working with teachers: um, an administrator, a coach, and a peer. And and they were all trained in, in coaching and. And the result was it didn't matter who coached you improvement occurred and so that's you know it's one of the studies i listed in the book to just really kind of break that myth really that as an evaluator i can't also support learning would you say that the support comes from the, the two words that come out of my mind are conversation and reflection yep and they they kind of go back together so as in effect what that teacher did <laughs> she 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 used a question to cause this the first grade student to do some reflection mm -hmm. and that that led to the students thinking and mm -hmm. so it doesn't matter which of those hats i have on as long as i can cause reflection and uh and, and conversation to occur and historically, mm -hmm. what was wrong with evaluation is that those two things didn't occur. The administrator came in, did all the thinking, and issued a report. Uh, and and so the teacher didn't grow because the teacher wasn't engaged in conversation or reflection. Yeah, and yeah, I was there. I was I was coming in and checking all the boxes, and in my initial part of my principalship, and um, I was thinking back. I was I'm astonished at how often I was wrong. Um, because I didn't ask and I wasn't curious. I was trying to get certainty. Yeah. I wanted to get it right. I can't tell you how many calibration activities <laughs> I've gone through with rubrics and they just, they really train you to yeah. not deviate from, you know, or get curious because you want it to be accurate. And I agree with that, but without having conversations and reflections with the teacher, it's, it's, you're only getting a limited perspective. And, and and that's where the that's where the growth comes so so even if you get a perfect accurate evaluation you didn't cause any growth to happen right <laughs> if you if you weren't able to move it in into a into a coaching environment yeah yeah what's driving this yeah. process yeah well matt i i see that you uh that that you laid your uh laid your book out in in five key practices and i mm -hmm. thought it would be valuable if we uh just kind of bounced uh, bounced through uh, each of those as an as an outline for folks. So, the first one that uh, you had laid out was uh, create confidence through trust. Take a moment or two to talk about yeah. that. Um, we've heard a lot about trust and how it's important. And even writing this book, you know, I was writing this chapter and you know, be able to count on someone and be able to know they're not going to immediately jump to conclusions or only look at the negative pieces felt like that was kind of already said. And so what's different about this? And, and that's where the confidence piece comes in. 
Um, when I trust like that teacher I was just mentioning and instead of quickly naming it or, you know, I, I asked a question, right? And so I trusted them that they could articulate, you know, the practices they were doing. And I wasn't, like you said, I wasn't giving advice. I wasn't um, telling them what I necessarily thought or, or didn't think. And I think through those repeated experiences, they were creating confidence, you know, and they're confident in themselves. I'm confident coming in the classroom and we can really start to have some pretty authentic conversations. I don't want to say honest because sometimes people right away conflate that with good word. Yeah. Or or overly critical. Right. But really um, naming and noticing those practices that they're doing. So, yeah, I wanted to start there with trust though, to make sure that that was in place before we start getting into the coaching side of things. So when, when, when I talk about uh, a trust, I usually connect it to the word, uh, 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 vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Do, do you see a way that that plays into that in, a, in effect? You as the you as the uh, coaching administrator are vulnerable as well as the teachers vulnerable. That's huge. And in my initial uh, work as a principal, I was reluctant to be open and honest about my own challenges and mistakes. And um, the pandemic certainly uh, forced me even more so to be vulnerable. I remember we were preparing for the last school year and and I had a few teachers just saying, I'm not feeling supported. They could have come back and said, oh, remember all these trainings we did and all this, you know, the technology we bought. And instead, I just said, you know, I'm sorry you're feeling unsupported. My apologies for that. I, I Please let me know what I can do to better support you. Here's my phone number at home. Give me a call over the weekend. And this was before the first day of the 2021 school year. No one called me, but I think just having that out there, I mean, they, they appreciated that. And, and that was it. And it didn't decrease my, I don't think, their perception of my credibility or capacity. Um, and I th- think they felt like it was, you know, that that we're in it trust. together. Yeah. Yep. And, that, and, then, that, the and then together, yeah. that's the key. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, great. The, the second, uh, uh, element that you laid out is organize around a priority. Yeah. And, and not to date this podcast or I'm going to tell another pa- uh, pandemic experience, I guess, but uh, yeah, I mean, the past couple of years, it's been tough to operate like more like a coach primarily because we're just, we've been in survival mode and how do you support that other than getting rid of obstacles and increasing resources. But um yeah, with the priority, it's it's what are you aiming for as a school, and what where do you need to grow? And I and we we always start with what we're doing well. I think that's important. But then, what's that next step? So in my school, for example, it's it's literacy, it's particularly reading, and so that gives me a lens in which I can come into classrooms now, and hopefully we've got professional learning happening, so that they've seen good practice, and now they're trying to apply it. And then I can come in and really have a, not like a laser-like focus, but have a framework in which to operate around common language. Uh, For example, what what level of discussion are kids at with their book clubs? And, you know, what kind of questions are are being posed? Is it open-ended or closed-ended? And and within that framework for literacy instruction, whatever that may be, whatever the school chooses, it really helps me as a principal um, or whatever kind of leader you are to to then engage in that conversation. So 
yeah, frameworks can be, I mean, uh, I don't know what a favorite one of yours is, but we use the gradual release of responsibility, um, or optimal mm -hmm. learning model. It's kind of a, mm -hmm. an adaptation of that. The, the whole concept of, uh, of, of identifying a priority is, is, is critical in, the, uh, in, in coaching for the one-on-one the -on -one relationship. Um, and, and I would say uh, equal, I, I do a lot of work with professional learning communities. And uh, I've, I've actually been, uh, been, been voicing a phrase for the last couple of years of, uh, of goals before norms that there's a tendency when you bring this group together, you're going to put together a set of norms for everyone to operate. And norms are, uh, are important, um, but it's a whole lot easier to agree on norms if, if we got some common reason for being there. And I, it's actually, I was doing a coaching call with a, a new instructional coach uh, earlier today, and she's talking about a, uh, you know, an, an experienced teacher who's just kind of like uh, stuck where he's at. You know, he's at an okay spot and and not moving on. And I, I, I uh, my conversation with her is, you know, you've got to be able to move the conversation to where uh, there's something important for him to make happen for kids that isn't happening. And if you can get him to voice what that is, then then now you and he can work together because you got something to make happen. Uh, so that 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 spot that we're moving towards is, is critical in coaching. And that's what's nice about a framework too is there can be opportunities within that for a teacher to i want to work on this you know and um, everyone's working on something and yeah so i i think that's really important i wrote down the goals before norms i think that that's a good point of making sure form follows function yeah yeah, yeah. So, uh, third one you mentioned was affirm promising practices mm -hmm. yeah there was just an article i read on Twitter um, Inc. It's a it's more of a business journal, I think, and um, they just basically said like, when you give critical feedback, um, people either do one of two things: they forget it, or they remember it and they don't do anything about it. <laughs> and then uh, I can just think of some of the critical feedback I've received, and, and I, I remember being resistant and because I have this belief and I am very good at what I do and. And that's what we want in teachers. We want them to be confident. And, but how do you get there, right? And so that's where affirming promising practices is to start with what are they doing well? And that's and it's validated. It's not um, if you remember the Saturday Night Live clip of Stuart Smalley, you know, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, I'm a dog on it, people like me. Um, you know, where's the evidence on that? It's not just a pat on the back, it's um, here's what you did, and here's the impact that it had on kids. And, and that's a big word. Yeah, and that's objective reality, right? That's not something I'm just I'm not sugarcoating anything. I'm just saying it. And so again, with that teacher, when you allow that student to identify the title for their um book, you empower them as right as a writer. And you know, that's going to carry forward the rest of the way. And what I do when I visit classrooms, 95% of the time it's I'm writing notes like you can see on the cover of my book. In the book, you have some examples of instructional walks. Um, they're not walkthroughs. I'm not checking up boxes. I'm not looking for certain things. I'm just documenting what happened. And then near the end, I'm affirming what they did well and the impact that it had on kids. And that's for me is the entry point to those coaching conversations in which we can talk about practices that, that may be worth pursuing for improvement.
So I'm guessing that ties closely then to the to the fourth uh, element, which was yep. communicate feedback. So those two kind of get paired together. Yeah, it um, communicate is a key word. and um, does certainly help uh, create that coach acronym, right? <laughs> but it's not giving feedback. It's not delivering feedback. Um, like you said before, it's, you know, principals might come in and just say, here's what's going well. Here's what you need to improve on. Really is communicating it in the sense that I want teachers to hear it. And often that feedback isn't coming from me. It's coming from their own sources of knowledge. It's their own experiences and things that they have forgotten about. You know, maybe they got in a rut and then we start talking and they're like, oh yeah, I did that unit five years ago and I did that practice. And I, I wonder why I stopped doing that. And um, so when we say communicate feedback, it's through that conversation that we have. And it's often through questions, right? It's, um, I have a, um, a new teacher whose classroom library was very, it, was, it would look like a public library. All the spines were out, none of the books were facing out. So I, was, I withheld my assumption and I just said, hey, how's your classroom library going? Um, what are you liking about it? What, what's challenging you? And she's like, oh, it's been great because the kids wanted it this way. They were the ones that said, well, I want all the series books together. And we didn't have enough room <laughs> to face them all out. But the kids are reading more and, um, and, and taking care of the live classroom library. And I'm like, that's great. And um, then I realized she needs, maybe she needs more shelving, right? So, so that, that led into that conversation of, you know, what do you need from me then? Um, but through that conversation, she was able to reflect on her process and her decision making. And I think the point there too is it's not just communicating feedback to the teacher; it's the teacher communicating feedback to me. I was just going to say, as I was listening to you, you're describing she was reflecting, but I think I'm hearing you were reflecting too. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> as I'm you learning, listen to her, I'm learning as much, if not more, than the teachers uh, because I'm not in their classroom. I'm in their one percent, two percent of the actual time, and I think it's kind of it would be very pompous of me to say I can come in and. And in a matter of a couple hours, here's all the things you need to work on. It just, you know, it's just not possible. So um, I'm coming in there, trying to do these conversations around once every two to three weeks. Um, it's been a little bit slower with the pandemic, but these conversations accelerate my learning. So when it comes time for evaluation cycles, observations that are more formal, um, nothing's really a surprise and, and it, for the teacher too. And it's really a lot less stressful we have to um, engage in that work and a lot more accurate you know when i'm actually adding evidence into those systems it's it's it's, it's um it, it, it's interesting that when i when i uh, flagged you to communicate feedback one of the first words you went to was questions mm -hmm. and uh it's probably not what would jump out at people when they when they first consider the word communicate mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, but it really is what makes a communication because mm -hmm. it, it creates the conversation. Yeah, and the, the cognitive coaching work training I've done, or remember an activity. You know, what are the five forms of feedback, and which do you think are are most effective? And, and the number one is mediative questions. Not yeah. to say that there isn't a time where you know, I just need to say something, you know, because um, there is something that's going yeah. on that's just either really great or, or I do have concerns about. Uh, but even then I can approach it with, you know, a thoughtful question of, yeah, it comes out of, some, the, comes out of the conversation. 
yes. the thing that you need to say in effect emerges out of the conversation. So so it feels normal. Yeah, where it feels we're, we're in that evaluation process. It was kind of like, where did that come from? Yeah, it feels like you're talking about the weather. And, yeah. Um, and it's it's a lot less uh, stress inducing. And I remember one activity in a classroom. Yeah, I was probably culturally insensitive. It wasn't um, terrible, but I remember talking to them about it. And I, I recognize that they're bringing in diverse texts and they are facilitating conversations and the kids are doing research and, and this and this and all these affirming things. And then I finally said, and this was actually a question that my coach, my executive coach, my leadership coach helped me craft because I knew I was going to ask this coming in, you know, how might a person of color come in and, and, and view this activity you're doing today? And it wasn't accusatory. It wasn't yep. affirming. It was truly curious because I wanted to know what they were thinking when they went into um, this activity and, and they, they explained it. And, um, and then I did finally leave with, you know, here's kind of a next step is just, continue to ask yourself that question whenever you're designing any of these activities and i appreciate your efforts here to to um, diversify our curriculum and i think that's important so and it did improve so um a much more respectful i think way to engage in these types of things all right and the last one that you had was help teachers become leaders and learners and this is kind of a meta strategy i guess it's it's incorporating all of these things the the note taking, the paraphrasing, the posing questions. And I think this really comes to some advice I was given, which I think is important for principals in particular to hear is to stick around in your schools, to not hop around, to really commit to five to seven years at a minimum of being in that school. Cause that seems to me, and, and I, I don't know your experience, Steve, but that seems to be how long it takes to really kind of right the ship or get it going in the direction i think we all want it to go but eventually build team. Build yeah a team. as a team can, yep it's like it, it, build a build a team in a year and move on absolutely yeah there's it really isn't any way so but that's what i've noticed I, in my previous school where i was there for five years in my current school where i'm at for six years now really starting to see teachers stepping up and becoming the leaders and uh, right now we're looking through a, going through a curriculum renewal process for literacy and uh, my coach is setting up site visits and I probably had a dozen teachers giving their opinions on one of the resources we looked at and everyone felt fairly safe speaking out. But I don't think that would have happened five years ago. And uh, yeah, so in that chapter, it's a shorter chapter, but it, it highlights two, um, one school and one district that through their commitment over the long term, really saw some profound change. And so it can happen, but it's there are no overnight successes in education. Well, Matt, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, lay this out here for us. I'm wondering if you could uh, tell the listeners the uh, best way that they might uh, communicate or follow up with you. I am on Twitter. Um, I enjoy puns, wordplay. So it's read by example, kind of like lead by example, read by example. I have some particular focus on literacy and leadership can also be found at my newsletter blog uh, read by example at substack.com and uh, the book can be found at Corwin um, or Amazon or wherever else they sell these books but uh, I've appreciated meeting you I've heard your name before and 
just getting to know you know a little bit more about your work it's something i might pursue more as well so thank you you're very welcome we'll be sure to put the uh, sites that you just mentioned into the lead into this podcast so uh, folks will be able to find you good luck to you thank you steve take care thank you for listening you can subscribe to steve barkley ponders out loud on itunes and podbean and please remember to rate and review us on itunes i also want to hear what you're pondering you can find me on twitter at steve barkley or send me your questions and find my videos and blogs at barkleypd.com.